Great first half doesn't make a four-quarter performance. Longmire lamented it, the players lamented it, and the SCG is just no longer the fortress it once was. One win from our last seven games, one more loss, and that's our worst run of form since 1994. With games against Richmond, the GWS Giants, Hawthorne, Essendon, Brisbane, and Geelong to come, it's not looking great before the bye. You are listening to the Swans Blog Swanscast, the number one Sydney Swans fans podcast. In this week's episode, we review the Swans' fourth round loss against Melbourne on Thursday night. We talk about the midfield performance, that third quarter, Harry Cunningham's great performance, introduce a new segment, and give you our Monday champions and villains. I'm Justin Mitchell, and with me is Swanscast regular Joshua Ma. Top of the agenda for today's show, the SCG record. We've just won one from our last seven matches, and that equals our round 4-11 to 11 record in 2000. We have four consecutive losses at the SCG, and that also equals the same period. And, Josh, if we've got one more loss, we are looking at our worst record since 1994. So, wow, that's, that's impressive for all the wrong reasons. Unfortunately, yeah. So, you watched the game, you were in a pub... We had our Swans cast live on Saturday, so if you haven't seen that yet, make sure you go watch that because we discuss off-field issues. That's why we're not going to delve into that. But you're at a pub on Saturday watching it. You said you watch it again on Sunday. It wasn't wasn't pretty viewing in the second half, was it? No, it wasn't. It was uh, it was downright disheartening. Uh, the second half, the just the lack of intensity and effort again, which seems to be a recurring theme for us the last couple of years. Just uh, was very unswans like. That's not Swans football. No, and look, our SCG form has actually been quite terrible the last bit of, I'd say, season and a little bit. We obviously, last time we played the Giants, we only scored 30 points and we lost by seven goals against them in the elimination final last year. They are yeah, our next was, opponents as well. And and that was that was two goals in junk time as well. So yeah. I think at the time, if we had not have scored those two goals in junk time in the fourth quarter, we were looking at the worst score since 1899, is that correct? Yes, 1899 is exactly right. I do remember hosting a podcast after the match, and the title of the podcast was, at least it is an 1899 bad. And right. we, we say that because it would have been our lowest final score since 1899, and I think we only scored 18 that time as well. So, yeah, it's, it's not looking great. We'll skip straight into our champions and villains. So, Monday champion Josh, let's hear yours. Uh, my Monday champion is actually Harry Cunningham, but it's not its not just because of what Harry Cunningham did this week. It's because of what Harry Cunningham has done this year. Um, I think Cunner's copped a bit of flack over the last few years. I think people expect a lot more out of a guy who's actually um, more of a bit player and a role player. He's not an outright superstar like your Kennedys or your Parkers or any of, that, any of those players. Um, but I'm just going to read out some stats for what Harry Cunningham's career averages look like what his 2019 season stats look like. So his career average uh, is 15 disposals, 8 kicks. His disposal efficiency is 79%, which is elite. Uh, His percentage by foot, 74%, which is elite. 
Um, he's got one and a half rebound 50s, just on four marks, two intercept possessions, three tackles, and 200 metres gained average. So other than the two elite rankings there, the rest of them are pretty average or they're below average. But his 2019 stats are 22 disposals, uh, 14 kicks. His disposal efficiency is 84%. Wow. And his disposal by foot is 85 and a wow. half. That's massive. Massive. Both elite. Rebound 50s, four and a half, which is ranked elite. Uh, six marks. Intercept possessions, four and a half, which is ranked elite. Wow. Four yep. tackles and 402 meters wow. gained per match. So Harry Cunningham's year has been massive. He had a pretty big, pretty big game as well. I think he had over 500 meters gained uh, against the Demons as well. So he he was enormous for us. Huge. He's having a huge year. And I think this is the kind of year he was on track for when he had his syndesmosis injury. Uh, sorry, syndesmosis. He had a Liz Frank injury um, either last season or the year before. So I'm, yeah. I'm hoping Harry Cunningham keeps this going. Yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting player. I think people are kind of expecting a bit of an Isaac Smith kind of player from him. Or like Goods was when he was in his prime, able to just sprint down the wing. But he's a very different player. He's almost like a, a winger who can play as a tagger. Uh, and can yeah. win his own inside ball as well. And he's got a massive tank. He, he, he plays, does, yeah. I think he averages about 85% time of ground. He often plays more than that. Yep. He's got a massive tank, and he's one of the few guys we've got at the moment who is still going hard at the end of the game. Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a good player, and he's just gone over 100 games, and I think now he's going to enter into sort of like his really good period before he peaks in a couple of years' time. Now, my Monday champion, uh, it, it's kind of two, but it's two into one. It's St. Kilda slash Alan Richardson. Alan Richardson was under pressure before the season even started. Uh, St. Kilda were looking at bringing in some really experienced sort of senior assistant coaches to help him or at least transition him out. So they got Brett Ratton in St. Kilda as well. So they're really looking like, what are we going to do in the next sort of six months? He has turned that club around. They are, I think they're fourth or fifth on the ladder at the moment, just by percentage. They pipped Hawthorne after coming from four goals down at three-quarter time, and they got over the line, and they were immense in that last quarter. They were absolutely fantastic. So, Alan Richardson, you have been great this year. And that meme from um, totally totally true AFL quote page on Facebook, where Dan Hanbury saying, oh, just look at the ladder, we're two zip, and Swans are zip two. That's kind of starting to ring a little bit true at the moment, Josh, isn't it? It's a little bit prophetic. It was funny two weeks ago. Um, I'm not laughing about that anymore. No, it's actually a bit depressing. So I'm going to kick off our Monday Villains. Now, this is also from a Sunday match. Uh, It is the Carlton Suns match, and there are two plays, and they are absolute disasters. It is Mitch McGovern's, the ball traveling over his head and bouncing before the goal line. And anyone who watches Bounce would have heard Danny Frawley just going off on him in his Don't Come Monday segment. And then Carlton wins the center clearance. They've got 15 seconds left. Mark Murphy has the ball about 45 meters out, and he tries a dribble goal from about 40 meters, ignoring the fact there are still two defenders in front of him. And he got absolutely nailed on the dribble file, and he deserved it because it was just an atrocious passage of play. So the Carlton boys, Mitch McGovern and Mark Murphy, they are my Monday villains. Yeah, it's an absolute coach killer, that. It is. And now, Joshua, who is your Monday villain? Oh, my Monday villain is actually Patrick Dangerfield. Um, and it's it's a little bit to do with his you know elbow into DeBoer's chest. Uh, if anyone's seen the media the last couple of days, there's a bit of discussion about whether or not he's going to get the same treatment Dustin Martin yeah. got the week before. 
Um, basically, Matty DeBoer's done a good job tagging Patrick Dangerfield during the game. Danger swung a blind elbow at DeBoer and hit him in the sternum. Uh, DeBoer's doubled over. And then Paddy's gone for another bit of a swing backwards, not knowing that DeBoer's now doubled over and just hit him in the head. Look, I don't think it's in the same... Cat- yeah, it's a bit funny, actually, if you see the footage. Uh, I don't think it's in the same category as the Dustin Martin one from the week before. Um, but he's my villain because uh, in his role as the AFLPA uh, rep and uh, just his general social media use, um, Paddy's a little bit chirpy about he is. MRO decisions and things other players do. And if he's, he's going to be chirpy... Vocal, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to be chirpy and out in the public with this stuff, you can't be doing stuff like that on the field as well, Paddy. So you're my villain. Well, he's certainly painted a target on his back, really, in the last three months. He's been very critical over the new rules, extremely critical over the contact below the knees. And he is in this unique position, being the president of the AFLPA, that he can say some of those things without getting in too much trouble. But I suspect this action, plus his latest sort of I guess you could say social transgressions has brought in a lot of criticism. And I suspect that at the end of the year, there's probably going to be a change in, in a leadership in the AFLPA. And I probably would say that's going to be for the better because you can't, you can't do what you're doing. You can't be as critical and as vocal as he is, and then just go on the field and do silly stuff. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, And it's not like he's a repeat offender for issues on field, but you still can't do it. You can't put yourself out in the public realm uh, making the statements he does and then go and do silly things like that. Yeah, exactly. Straight into the weekend review. As I said before, we did our Saturday sort of uh, Swanscast Live. We talked a little bit about the weekend review. So we're going to sort of delve into it just briefly, not too much. So make sure you catch that episode. It is on Wooshka. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. It's on YouTube. It's on all the usual channels. So go and make sure you listen to it because it is a great listen. We talk about the club and a lot of issues off the field, especially the training and facility situation, which is an absolute joke. But I'm going to kick things off, Josh. First quarter, we were immense. Unfortunately, Melbourne got the first two goals, a bit of a flicker one through Pruce, uh, and then he kicked the next goal. They're up two goals, I think, to about a point or something like that, and then we finally hit the scoreboard, and we hit the scoreboard in great fashion. We're up 47 disposals, seven inside 50s, three centre clearances despite Callum Sinclair basically limping around by that point. We had three centre clearances more than Melbourne, and that's despite the fact that Max Gorn was already monstering Callum Sinclair in the ruck. We had 11 more contested possessions and we had three more contested marks. We were smashing them across the field and we probably should have led by more than we did. And it, it really was quite disappointing to, to only really be up by, I guess, a smallish margin. But Heaney was dominant, had 10 disposals. Kieran Jack got a goal. Jones had nine disposals and a goal. And Florent was right up there with Heaney. He was absolutely fantastic. So, the first quarter was really good, Josh. Uh, yep, and uh, probably the first half of the second quarter was uh, even better, I think. Yeah? So, uh, by half time we were up by 48 disposals, 7 clearances, 4 centre clearances, wow. 13 inside 50s. We had 5 more marks inside 50. Uh, we were up 11 contested possessions and 31 disposals. And uh, Ollie Florent and Isaac Heaney combined for uh, 7 clearances between the two of them. That's crazy. Where it was a pretty solid half of football, uh, and it didn't translate to a score on the scoreboard. I think our inaccuracy in front of the sticks cost us, and we really should have gone into the halftime break with a five, six, seven goal lead, um, but yep. we didn't. 
Well, that was one thing the commentators were discussing on the broadcast is that Swans should have been up by 40 points. And we're not talking half time, we're talking halfway through the second quarter. I think there was, we kicked eight goals, but uh, how many shots was it that we had on goal? I think we had a couple of drops short and a couple went on the full. Yeah, I, it was some, it was about, uh, oh, geez, it was 22 shots. Uh, 22. Wow. That's insane. I think it was 22, 22 shots on goal. Yep. Yeah, eight goals and 22. <laughs> that is some terrible conversion. And look, I, I remember watching it. Melbourne are just fluking it. They uh, kicked four goals from the same pocket. Nathan Jones, who had no impact whatsoever until about 15 minutes into the second quarter, he just launched himself into the game. Max Gorn started getting clearances and tap outs to advantage. Nathan Jones kicked two goals in a minute, and they were utterly dominant from that point. Yeah, the, the third quarter uh, was quite depressing to watch. Uh, Paul Not Ruse, only were they dominant. Oh, Not yeah. Not were they dominant, but we lowered, we lowered oh, our intensity something shocking. Our standard yeah. hit rock bottom. I mean, it was probably as bad as a quarter as I've seen us play for quite some time. And unfortunately, we, we were kind of saying that fairly regularly last year and we're set out a couple of times this year already but I think the numbers don't lie 11 less disposals 8 less clearances we had 1 less centre clearance and this is where the numbers really go crazy 7 less inside 50s 24 less contested possessions we were destroyed in the midfield battle and to really point home just how much Sinclair struggled 40 less hitouts up to 3 quarter time that is phenomenal. Yep. One of the amazing stats there is that we're only down by one center clearance um, despite losing by 40 hitouts. Exactly. So only one center clearance. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't that we were getting destroyed in the center either. We were getting destroyed everywhere. I don't know if you recall from the broadcast, but there was an amazing stat that was read out at halftime. Max Gorn had set a new halftime record for hitouts. He had 33 at halftime. Okay, that, that's like when... He, when Brody Grundy, um, I think, got like 56 against Sinclair last year, and Max Gorn got about 54 or something against Sinclair last year, he eclipsed those numbers. So oh, the third quarter was just, it was just torturous to watch, Josh. It was shocking. It was a horrible quarter of football. Um, the last the last half of the third quarter was just dreadful, and uh, we never pegged it back after that. How did we go in the last quarter, or the last half in general? What did you think? Garbage, in a word. Disappointing. Yeah. Disheartening. I think the words I'm after, well, to use, to use horses' words, uh, we lacked intensity, and which is a gross understatement. Well, he said that three out of four weeks. Intensity and hardness, yeah, which that's is right. utterly disappointing. But uh, do you have any stats for us, Josh, about our second half performance? Because I don't want to read them Oh, out. I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thankfully, I'm, you sent them to me. I'm looking at them, and um, I don't want to read them. <laughs> So second half, uh, so we scored three goals two to seven goals six. Uh, we were negative 23 disposals, negative 19 Fuck. inside 50s, negative 20 hitouts, wow. negative 14 clearances, negative three center clearances, negative 31 contested wow. possessions, and negative 32 ground ball gets. <laughs> and that but just, we had four more marks inside 50. That negative 32 ground ball gets is absolutely phenomenal. The thing is... It's as we got smashed in that category for pretty much the whole game. I would say for at least two and a half to three quarters, they really dominated us in that particular category. The ground ball gets, but it's so much like the Adelaide game. They had thirty-three more ground ball gets, or somewhere around about that, and that's how they won that match. And they won it by similarish margin, not a big margin, but you know, two three goals. 
It's just so utterly disappointing that two weeks on, the exact same thing happens. We just switch off. Third quarter is like our, it used to be our Achilles heel and now it's just come back to, as like the anchor that's dragging us underneath. It is, and it's a travesty that last, that sort of last half, that third quarter. Yeah, it was just, it was utterly dreadful. And, um, and to see the coach and the captain after the game again talk about just lack of intensity around the ball as being one of the prime issues is just yeah. really disheartening. It's, you know, I talk about Blood's culture and, and, you know, Swan's football and all those sort of cliches that we've trotted out since, you know, 2005, I guess. You have to wonder where that will has gone because it's it's been it's been missing the last couple of years and it's going missing more often than it used to. It is. Uh, there was an interesting stat from the last week's podcast that was brought up, which was Sydney was the worst team, well, the second worst team for conceding scores from centre clearances. Now, we yep, dominated right. the first half, destroyed them in centre clearances, and they destroyed us in the second half of centre clearances, and they were getting a uh, majority of their scores. I think they kicked about four goals from centre clearances from about midway through the second quarter onwards. So they were able to just get it out. I know Max Gorn at one point was just hitting it out and... Brayshaw and Jones and a few of the other ones are just running onto it in space and just delivering it along. Uh, Wiedemann got one. Uh, there was a couple more that got him as well. I uh, know McDonald got one as well. So it was it was quite phenomenal just how efficient they were in that sort of last two and a half quarters for that. But there is something, I think, like, as fans would know, we are trying to keep a positive spin and positive outlook on how the side performs. It's a bit hard when the team performs so poorly. You blame the players, you you blame the coach, you blame everyone, and you try and you try and look for the the solution or at least the scapegoat in in this situation. But I think you wrote a really good piece on the blog yesterday, Josh, where you went through the things that are affecting the performance of the squad. Can you just give us a brief rundown and? For everyone who listens to the podcast, go to the blog. It is on the front page. It is currently the first article there. It is a great read. Make sure you read it. But Josh, give us a quick overview of what you think is actually affecting the squad at the moment. Well, I guess, I guess, in a nutshell, what I was writing about is um, uh, you're looking at the demographics that make up our playing group. So we sort of talk about there's the, the group of senior experienced players who are slowing down, getting towards the end of their careers. And that's just a fact. That's what happens and then sort of the lack of middle ground we've got in that sort of 24 to 28-year-old playing group with 100, 150 games under the belt. It's actually really narrow, and Harry Cunningham's one of the few we've actually got in that group at the moment. Well, on that, um, and then Cunningham, got- and Cunningham, Lloyd, and Reed are around about that 110 mark, and then the next player is Luke Parker on about 180, 190 games. Yeah, and then we sort of looked at most of what it was about, though, was the bottom nine out of that team, uh, as far as fantasy rankings go, of that team from the weekend. And the bottom nine, if you looked at who made up the bottom part of our team and, and, and generally does make up the bottom out team on a weekly basis, we're looking at some either some really, really inexperienced kids or guys who've barely played over the last 12 months. So our bottom three players were all 18-year-old kids. Uh, one of them was a, a debutant. Then there was Mills, who didn't play at all last year and is still looking rusty. Uh, Reed was in the same group. I can't remember who the other names in there were, but but go, go and read the article. The article will spell it all out. So there was not yeah. just that, but then there was the wholesale change we've made to the coaching ranks over the last yeah, exactly. two or three seasons as well. So we've lost 
you know, Josh Franku, Stewie Jew, uh, Steve Talbot, the, the was, Rock Whisperer Steve as well. Talbot, yeah, that's yep. right. Uh, Reese Shaw, who, while he wasn't on the senior list for coaching list for long, um, had actually had a rather large impact for a few games last year as well, which includes the game against North where Ali kicked the winning goal. Yep. That sort of thing. So it's not just about players and player demographic. It's about changes to our coaching structure and the relative inexperience across both groups. And then there's the whole situation about facilities and, you know, the SCG overuse and, and, and not being able to train yeah. on the SCG as often. And the Oval next door to the SCG, I believe, where we would normally train when the SCG is not available, is having a light rail terminal built on it at the moment. So it's not available <laughs> either. So there's some real issues around... There's a lot more complex issues than just the coach is bad. And so basically what I was getting at to the end of it was that it's not useful just to scream sack the coach because the issues are likely far more complicated than just one person yeah. uh, yep. at the top of the food chain. So, And I, I made a brief comparison too to Richmond and, and Collingwood where you know Damien Hardwick was going to get sacked three years ago and then six months later he became a premiership winning coach and Nathan Buckley took his team to within two kicks of winning a flag as well. so yeah. And that was after reviews of their football departments. Now, I wasn't arguing for a review of the football department. I was just trying to say that it's not always just about personnel. It can also be about the structures and the facilities yep. and the environment which that they work within. So um, I'm not on. I'm not along my hater. I'm not on the no. bandwagon to sack him at all. Um, but go, go and read it. It's far more in-depth than I'm able to describe. Absolutely. It's a great read. I don't want to delve too much into this. So I'll just say my, my bet and we'll move on. But we are, in, if you look at it uh, from an from a business point of view, from an off-field point of view, apart from some members who have actually got a lot of AFL experience or a lot of industry experience, we are quite inexperienced. Our CEO, Tom Harley, retired less than 10 years ago, um, pretty much came to Sydney straight out of his media commitments only like three or four years ago. So, he, yeah, this is literally, he's outside of football playing as a player, this is his only experience with a club in a management capacity or an administrative capacity. And he's now the CEO of the club. You've got Gardner as well, limited experience. Coaches are very inexperienced. Uh, Brett Kirk and John Longmire obviously are quite experienced. Then you've got Blakey's father, which is very experienced, but his sort of involvement is not as much as Kirk's and Longmire's and Johnson's and Cox's in the day-to-day running. So there's a lot of things off the field that are affecting the performance. But I think that's enough on that topic. I want to get straight into our best on. So, Josh, we did our five to one on the weekend. And they're a little bit different to what people have suggested on social media as their five to one for the fans ratings and also the player ratings. So, I'll go straight into the Swans Blogs Player of the Year round four votes. So, one vote went to Luke Parker, who was probably one of the better players out of a pretty faltering senior lineup. Two went to Isaac Heaney, who was enormous in the first half, but copped a really big hit to his hip and was quite limited after that. Three went to Oliver Florent, who combined with Heaney in the first half of 31 disposals and seven clearances. They were both amazing in that first sort of quarter and a half to two quarters. Aliyah Aliyah, who was immense throughout. He was the only reason we, we only lost by 22 points. And Harry Cunningham got the five votes for a quietly achieving but really important game. And yeah, I was impressed. You saw him do a lot of things, but his game was invaluable for us. And to be honest, if other players pulled their finger out, I think we would have done a lot better. Yeah. Uh, Harry really is one of the most underrated link men in the game at the moment. Um, yeah. And I thought he was in patches last year as well, you know, going back to his ankle injury, which probably robbed him of his 
breakout season. But I've just got a couple of numbers here for Harry Cunningham for this yep. week. 25 disposals, 10 tackles, and 8 rebound 50s, and he went at 76%. And that was by hand and by foot, so that he had a good game. That 10 tackles is amazing. That's an amazing figure, yeah. 10 tackles. And he's, how many metres gained did he have? I think it was over 500? 520-something, I think. And 10 tackles. That is and ridiculous. So it just goes to show how hard he worked defensively. And he had a bunch of rebound 50s and inside 50s as well. Yep, I, I rate him. I, I wish more people did. So we did get some fans player of the year ratings. They are still open until Tuesday, so make sure you get in, do your ratings. Uh, we do have quite a mixed sort of bag here. We've got probably Heaney. Depending on the votes we've got now, we haven't got too many. I think people are quite frustrated about it, but it looks like Heaney might take the five. Um, we have Florent, who might take the four. Cunningham, who might take the three. Aaliyah, who might take the two. And Rampy will probably take the one vote. So make sure you get your votes in. We still have plenty of time for it. So get in there, do them. Now, we introduced the fans' player ratings a couple of weeks ago, and we've had some fantastic involvement from that. We gave Cunningham eight and a half, and the fans agreed. They gave him an eight. So, Josh, I know you wanted to bring up some of the discrepancies between our ratings and the and the fans' ratings. Which one sort of did you see the most discrepancy with? It might have been Hewitt, actually. I think we gave him a one, and, and the fans gave him a four. Is that, yeah. is that right? Are you so, we gave him one, yep. and the fans gave him a 3.4. So okay. here's another so it's one. Come down a bit. It has come down a bit, but here's another one. I gave Franklin an eight. I thought his game was good, but I, I watched it a bit afterwards, and I kind of regretted giving him an eight. I think I would have given him about a six and a half afterwards. And the fans, they've let us know. They gave him a five point seven. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I, I don't blame them for that. I understand that completely. It, it's it's that's one that I think the fans have uh, given us a little bit of an adjustment over. But most of the ratings yep. match up. So, look, we gave Jason McInerney a three. I think I'm going to talk about him briefly in a minute. Fans gave him a 3.5. Um, we also gave, I'm just trying to find the player, Nick Blakey got a three. Callum Sinclair a two. They agreed with that. And they agreed with the earlier rating. We gave him an 8.5 and the fans gave him an eight. So, it's a toss-up for either player, really. So, we have our we have our best. Obviously, the best on was Cunningham, Heaney, Florent, Lear, and Parker. Those combination of five players. But yeah, the Justin McInerney situation. And that's going to lead us into our good, the bad, and the ugly. Josh, this is our new segment. So we each give our good, our bad, and our ugly from the weekend. I'm going to kick things mm. off. The good, Aaliyah's spoil. That was a masterpiece in defense. It was the highlight of the game from both sides. It was amazing. And he managed to do it without front-on contact. Spoil the ball. Perfect spoil. Couldn't have asked for anything better, Josh. Nah, I rated that as well. It was a very good moment. Um, and you're right. He's probably the difference between us losing by 22 points and lose, us losing by 50 points. Um, yeah. His defensive work didn't die off as, you know, the defensive work in the rest of the ground died off. No, um, it was really, really impressive. He's still very underrated. He's still very underrated for my mind. All right, Josh, give us your good and then give us your bad. Ollie Florent is my good. Um, oh, he was old great. young... Oh, young Ollie has been a little bit down on form the last three weeks, but uh, once again, uh, little Ollie Florent has given us the uh, a glimpse at what he will become, and his first half especially was uh, quite magnificent sparkling. for the young bloke. It was yep. sparkling good, like a little diamond in the rough. Uh, the bad. Uh, this uh, I don't think I'll quite get hate mail for this, but Sammy Reed's hands. Teflon. He, uh, Mate, he's been handling yeah, it like a bar of soap. Yep, he... Uh, 
Well, it wasn't quite an almost game for him, but certainly the week before was an almost game. He almost takes the mark. He almost kicks the goal. It just he uh, he yeah. dropped a few sodas in that second half that really should have resulted in shots on goal. But oh, he what sprayed one on the full two when another one dropped short and he kicked one point. It was not a good game from Reed. Nope. But he had mates. Yep. He had mates, yeah. And that leads into my bad. My bad is George Hewitt's form. So we've talked about it. I'd say nearly ad nauseum, but finished top five in the Bob Skilton medal. And now we don't even know what he's doing. We don't know what his position is or what he's really wise out there. So look, his form is a massive concern. Our player ratings, I think we've given him three over the last two matches combined, like total three. And overall, I think he's averaging about three for the season. He's been really, really poor. Unfortunately, this leads into my ugly, and this is why I wanted to talk about Justin McInerney. It's not about him or the way he played. He laid two massive tackles, which were really impressive. He had two handball receives, and this is what really pissed me off about the match. The only time that players would use him was as an out when it was a hospital hand pass. Two of the handball receives he got, he got basically decapitated within half a second. And it just, oh, so frustrating. And he was on the wing calling it in open space, no one around him. And what'd they do? Just bomb it long into the forward line. And it just rebounded up the yep. other end, they scored goals. It was... Yeah, yeah I remember sitting oh. there screaming at the TV that McInerney's open on the wing and they he's waving his hands around. Didn't he use him. Absolutely nothing. Did not use no. him. And he showed a lot in the JLT. He showed a lot in practice games. He was very impressive last week in the NIFL. He absolutely destroyed his opponents in the first quarter in the NIFL last week. And I, I remember watching it going, get this kid in. He's going to offer us a lot. And they just didn't use him at all. I, I couldn't I couldn't believe no. it. It was unbelievable. It was very disappointing. Very Josh, disappointing. Joshua, you're ugly. Oh, uh, my ugly. I'm actually, I actually got wound up about this when we were talking about it offline, and that is the ruck situation oh, in Sydney at the moment. It's insane. Uh, it is. Uh, we've known. So, I mean, Sinkers, this isn't a slide on Sinkers because Sinkers busted his guts, and I'm pretty sure he had a corky, and he was always going to get demolished by Gorn anyway because that's what Max Gorn does. Um, He's but we've known for eight centimetres. That- He's given away yeah. eight centimetres on Gorn alone. Oh, he's a mountain. And and once he got his... I'm still assuming he had a corky. He, he didn't have much of a jump left in him anyway. But we've known for a year that something like 666 was coming and having potentially needing two ruckmen in the game was going to be a thing. And we also yep. knew that Sam Naismith was probably not going to be ready at least early on in the season. And now and that we is... We still don't have another ruckman on the no, list other than Darcy Cameron. And there's some questions about whether Darcy Cameron will be... Would be fit enough. I personally, I just think we should have just brought him in and just just, play just played him up against yep. Gorn and you know put sinkers down forward and then put sinkers up against Bruce would have been better for us. Yep, agreed. But, um, Even if we concede the ruck, oh yeah, for sure. The ruck situation in Sydney's been a mess for eighteen months now. Um, yep, and I'd finally come home to roost the other night and I'm, I'm I sort of I held off for a long time going oh this situation stinks. Because we always manage to get through, and, and Sinkers has done some magnificent work for us. But this week, no, it sucks. So yeah. our ruck situation yeah. is ugly. I think we, we started taking the Richmond approach back in 2017 when we had Fox and Parker and Dawson, and oh, I can't remember who else was pinching in the ruck. Oh, Towers. Towers was actually taking like 40% of the ruck at some point and helping out Sinclair. He actually had some good games. Though. He had some like, good he games. He actually yeah. did all right. And even to a less extent, uh, extent, Gary Rowan, like when those those times where we tried Gary Rowan in in the he ruck, did okay, he did okay, and it brought him into the game. And I actually thought we finally found a way to use Gary Rowan's and then we talents. Get rid of him. 
And then we got rid of him just as we found something he was actually good at. And then we go so, back to playing Sinclair, 85% in Ruck, and he's dead at halftime. So, yeah. it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's really It is. Look, enough on that. Uh, I just want to really briefly cover the Neafilm. Uh, James Rowbottom, yes. he has to come in. So, the changes for this week have to be Darcy Cameron and James Rowbottom in. There is no choice. I suspect McInerney is going to come back out. No fault of his own. But Rowbottom and, and Cameron, they have to come in. Uh, Cameron got some kudos for this performance. I didn't think it was that good. We just need a Ruckman. So, even if he spuds it up a bit, doesn't matter. He has to come in and help out Sinclair. But the big one was Rowbottom, who was dominant. He was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Clark well, re- needs Realistically, there's no reason that Darcy Cameron couldn't give a solid effort against Nan Curvis. Yeah, exactly. And then we could run Sinkers as a marking forward, and that would free up Yohini's or someone of exactly. that kind who's been playing more as a forward to come further down the field. Well, because Reed's not marking the ball. Franklin's not really marking the ball, and he's lost a bit of distance and speed. So we, we need some help. And if they're going to keep oh, yeah. bombing it, there's no point bombing it if no one's there to mark it. But no, look, the other thing with yeah. Reed too is that I don't like the idea of running Reed as a as a chop out in the ruck because every time we've done that in it the past, injured. Reed gets injured. Yeah, yeah, it's a bad idea. Look, enough on that. Uh, we want to try and move on to some of our <laughs> social stuff. Up here today. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the forty minute podcast from yesterday, oh, from Saturday rather, where we kind of were a bit fired up as well. But we've got a couple of comments from our listeners on social media. So Ash from Facebook, he said, between our good first halves and rubbish second halves, and the rules and umpiring this season, and Buddy getting murdered without freeze every game, it's a hard slog watching the games at the moment. But we shall persist. Hopefully prevail. Yes, we are persisting. Good work, Ash. Good work, Ash. We, we love that sort of comment. And the fans, they are hurting. Uh, it is it is difficult to watch us play at times. We have discussed this ad nauseum, so we're not going to go into it. But Steve from Twitter said, how did it go south so quickly? I guess there were some signs last year, but, but the teams we are losing to this year don't seem that good either. Time to play the kids. And that's something we talked about on Saturday as well, is that I, I think if we lose the next two games, it's pretty much play the kids' time and just give them as much experience as they can. Because some of the players that we've got in the senior team at the moment, they they do not deserve to be there and they haven't earned their spot. Or at least if they have previously, their form is so bad, they need to go back to the Neaffle and get form. I think, think, Steve, that after 2016, because, you know, rightly or wrongly, we didn't get that flag. And depending on which way you swing as to why we lost that game, they probably felt they needed to keep that list together and that they were going to have a fair tilt um, the year after, and we didn't because we had that 06 start. So we probably we probably didn't develop some of the kids as much as we should have in the seniors yeah. because we tried to keep that list together. And, it, and I mean, that's just a guess. It may have backfired us on it a little bit, but you're right. Yeah. It's time to start getting these young punks into seniors. So I'll, well, before we close off the show, I just want to raise one point. Well, just as a comment, so we'll just move on after that. But Franklin has been getting a lot of criticism lately. Now, I can understand that because the list management side has been compromised based on his recruitment and then subsequent trade bans and Kurt Tippett's injuries, basically destroying his career. So, essentially, the rumor was by the end of 2016, he already was at a point where he couldn't really run. And he had uh, ankle surgery. And then 2017, he destroyed his ankle, um, had surgery again in the, in the off-season. And the reason why he retired was he wanted to walk. So, his ankle was literally that bad that if he continued to play, he would need, you know, 
constant reconstructions of surgeries and stuff like that. That's how messed up his ankle was. So Franklin's come in for a lot of criticism. He's copping it from all angles at the moment. He was described as selfish. And to be honest, he probably was a bit selfish. But at the same time, I think he wanted to just pick the team up, put them on his shoulders and go, I got this. I can do it for us and drag him over the line. I think one of the things that people might forget is his contract and the sort of changes in the um, sort of the CBA, the... um, the agreement that the broadcasters reached with the AFL and the the amount of money they put into it. So the cap hasn't gone up as much as the Swans expected it to. They were expecting it to go anywhere up to 30%. It hasn't gone up anywhere near as much as that. The situation is the next two years, we're talking 20 and 21, he's on $1.5 million a year. And this year, he's already on, I think, $1.3 million. So in the last year, he's on, I think, 1.1 or 1.2 million. So this season, up until the end of his current contract, 2022, is his most expensive years where he's earning, I think, five of his, like, five or six of his, like, $10 million. That's how much money he's earning. it, It is an insane amount of money. And we're stuck with it. We can't get rid of it. And people are saying, trade him. But no one's going to take him. Not for that money. And we still have to somehow come up with a solution, if we do trade him, to give him that money. We're already stuck yeah. with Kurt Tippett's million dollar a year salary. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it's crazy. At least, at least Tippett's going to be off the books. Yeah. Uh, after this year, there'll be no more money outstanding. And yeah, exactly. He'll be finally delisted uh, officially. I think. I think with the Franklin thing, that I think you got to have a broader look at it though. So we we cut that deal with the idea that we were in a premiership window. And let's face it, we made two grand finals, and yep. you know, didn't show up for one, and then arguably got dudded in the other. So it's not like. It's not like we didn't have a chance to win another flag with Franklin in the team. And then there's the whole financial benefit to the club of having him as the marquee player. And he's without question made millions upon millions for the Swans as an organisation. But as far as his his form goes this year, I think people are forgetting he had groin surgery in the off-season, had no pre-season. And we're literally... He's two literally weeks. being played he, back into form and fitness exactly. in the senior team. He trained for two weeks before the first game. That was it. That was his preseason. Two weeks. Last year... He trained for 20 minutes after his heel injury. And even before then, he only trained for a couple of weeks because he had surgery the previous year. So, oh, yeah, it, it's. I know he comes in for criticism. I think a lot of it's unwarranted. Um, he is a genuine yeah, I superstar. absolutely agree. And he's going to go down as I, one of the best players of all time in AFL. Uh, I'm not yeah. saying lay and off unfortunately, him. Unfortunately, but- they can... They can double and triple team him. For some reason, we still can't find an open target now. Forward fifty. That's <clears throat> because our rock situation sucks and we can't get any forwards. But anyway, I think uh, we're going to leave it at that, Josh. We don't want to dwell on that anymore. Nope. Happy faces. Happy faces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been wonderful having you on, as usual. Pleasure to be. Always is. And you also know, everyone, that we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram with the tag, The Swans Blog, and you can get in contact with us during the week with the hashtags SwansCast and SwansCast Extra. Now, we'll be back on Thursday to record our SwansCast Extra after the teams are released and praying for a better show against Richmond. Until next time, go Swans. Go Swannies. Go Swannies.